Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Vinny. Yeah, so my background is uh, in documentary filmmaking. Um, I'm a director, producer, and so the company that I started years ago is called Rumline Media. And we, we produce documentaries that you might see on Apple, uh, Prime, uh, you know, just streaming platforms, that kind of thing. And then over the years, um, just working with uh, some programmers, we decided to start a, a startup company called Filmstacker. And so that's kind of the other hat that I wear. And uh, Filmstacker is a collaborative video platform. So if you have a team of people and they all have a part of the story, they can all upload it and you can easily mix it together and make collaborative videos. So uh, both have been exciting. Yeah. What's so film stacker? I mean, now what's the process of that? Do you have to know the people before you actually join their collective or is it you can find people that have similar interests and these are putting stuff in there? What's that process look like? Yeah. So our, our product right now is, is as basic as we can make it. It's a kind of a, you know, a minimum viable product. So, We've got big ideas for the future where it'll be much more social and you can search and join projects and that kind of thing. Mm. But what we're launching with right now is um, just it's a very basic product for a team of people that you already know. So a great use case example would be friends on a road trip or a wedding where the couple didn't hire a videographer, but they would love all their guests to contribute video, something like that. And then with the final project, still be edited by the people in the group or can you pay an extra fee or something like that to have someone else edit the piece together yeah well with all this awesome ai stuff that's coming out right now um most of the editing will probably eventually just be done automatically for you oh. but the way but the way that it's structured at the moment is you know you get invited to a project and so this couple the couple might ask you like hey can you give us the gift of the story that you experienced at our wedding and like a destination wedding is a great example. And so, um, yeah, each friend or each guest might contribute four or five clips and just kind of tell their, you know, what happened to them at the wedding. And then the couple can sit there and watch all these different stories that come in um, and really get to experience their wedding in a new way. Cause you know how busy you are and you're getting married, like you just don't get to experience it. And then it's really easy for them to pull the highlights out and just put together a new, what we call stacks, stacks or stories. And then that's something they can save. They can watch it later in the years to come. They can share it on social media if they want. So, rewinding to like a young Cody was was Cody always into like filmmaking, telling stories. I mean, who was young Cody? And my my journey to being a filmmaker, and I I think a lot of filmmakers can say the same. It's like this winding path that you never would be able to predict. But I grew up in a really small town in Oregon. Um, there's no film school nearby, but I love storytelling and writing and things like that. But my path, you know, just uh, from that small town, you know, I went to college, studied en engineering, then eventually um, graduated like a, a master's in science <laughs> and really was not into filmmaking. Like, other than I was always organizing my friends on the weekends and putting together, it was a, just a hobby. And I was always making narrative films and never thought that would ever be something I could pay the bills with. And it's weird how over the years it just grew because I, I was working with all these scientists all the time. And I was always the guy that just ended up making the video for the, the science project that was happening. 
that eventually led to doing that for universities uh, more officially. Then I started working for PBS, doing documentaries for them. Um, and then that leveraged into me starting a documentary unit at a university where I really kind of honed my skills uh, big time there. And then eventually uh, kind of left all that to go out on my own and start doing more like commercial, uh, you know, more higher end documentaries, the kind of thing that you would click on in uh, Netflix, Prime, Apple, that kind of stuff. So, so doing the stuff for the, the, co the colleges and then PBS and kind of slowing up the ranks, was it, yeah. were you working like as a, as a business where you were basically asking for these projects or were you making these deals or were you just kind of like word of mouth? I mean, what was that process around of like kind of jumping around from yeah. you know, the steps? Well, like all filmmakers at first, you're just so passionate about making video that you usually end up doing it for free. And, uh, um, a lot of filmmakers are in that, that situation where they're willing to do something for free because they love it so much and they're hoping that it's going to open doors. And for some people it does. And for a lot of people, you just end up working for free for years until you get tired of it, <laughs> get a better job. But so for me, you know, I started kind of volunteering and then, uh, the big breakthrough, I think where things really transitioned from just tr dreaming and, and hoping and learning to actually, uh, doing it for real was meeting a producer in PBS who uh, he needed help. And I just happened to be in the spot one day um, with a camera and this guy shows up and his cameraman didn't show. And so he's, I'm like, Hey, I got a camera. I can help you. And he gave me a shot and I did a good job. Then he started just to hire me as part of his crew. And then over the years uh, he really became a mentor and he started teaching me everything um, that you need to know to be like a producer, writer, director for, you know, PBS. And so I started producing projects for him because he was getting a lot of work and couldn't do it all. And so, you know, once you get a good name out there, that, that tends to happen. The work comes and it, it will flood somebody. So they start to kind of outsource it. Mm -hmm. So I became his, uh, his guy and just started making a lot of stuff for him. And, and it just gave me a lot of chance to get stuff out into the PBS network. And uh, PBS doesn't pay a lot. So eventually you kind of graduate from there to, to go to other places that start to pay more. So, well, like you talked about, you you started kind of just doing it for free just because you loved it so much, the passion for it. How were you surviving just to, to make a living? Was it, do you have a side, side job or what happened? Uh, at that time, I was still a graduate student. So I was, okay. you know, slaving away at the university um, on a graduate stipend. So just a poor student, basically. And then yeah, I spent a lot of, oh, yeah yeah i spent a lot of years uh not making too much so and I, it's pretty common i think a lot of a lot of people will sacrifice you know early revenue opportunities to continue to build this skill set and then hoping to pay off in the long run which it has so did i mean because i mean that's a tough thing right i mean like I, in your your 20s i mean late 20s or whatever that mm -hmm. time frame was you start seeing basically people that you went to high school with or college and they're making yeah. good money in other careers and Definitely. you're just like i'm i have a passion so what was what was driving you what was it like internally saying that i'm gonna keep doing this and i'm yeah. not gonna listen to the outside people i mean man you hit it on the head it's like it was watching my friends you know fall into different career paths and really start making money at some point i'm just like what am i doing you know and you start to doubt your decisions but there was something inside me i just knew that i was supposed to be a filmmaker it just and i kind of had this thing like 
I just like couldn't do any other job well. And I just, you know, it's almost like I just didn't have any other, uh, I just couldn't see myself doing anything else basically is what it was. So I just didn't, I feel like there was no option to, to not do anything other than continue. I don't know and, why, but I did. And then, so you're a PBS, you're still not making great money. Yeah. When was the point that you kind of say, okay, I'm going to kind of go on my own or start getting these other gigs to actually make more money? What, what was the thought yeah. process? It took me a long time to like really figure out the business and it is a business. And uh, it, filmmaking is a business where a lot of the information is cloaked and it's intentionally hidden from people. So it, it's very much like you have to kind of investigate it and figure it out. And everyone sort of figures out different parts of it. Uh, it's not easy to crack the nut on how it's done, but essentially it, it boils down to networking. I mean, you gotta, you gotta get into an in crowd of people who have a solid name that are able to land the, uh, the investment into the film that you need. And so it's really about that name recognition and networking. So you gotta get into that cabal as, mm -hmm. and the way you can do that is by producing small films and film festivals and and making connections and networking that kind of thing uh, film film school would be an option for some people but most of the successful filmmakers that i know honestly um, did not go to film school they tend to come to film in documentary anyways they tend to come to documentary with some other skill like i bring like the access to science to scientists that was kind of my entry point you know and so for example a lot of the writers and the producers i know they they know some industry really well and those are the documentaries that they're making is about that got it so so that's uh but once you once you get into the business um you there's really a, a multitude of revenue streams that you need to figure out how to start tapping and the, the right now it's super dynamic and it's changing a lot. Um, traditional documentary may not even be your main product anymore. There could, it could be a social media, uh, campaign might actually generate more revenue for you. It's, it's hard to say. Uh, so it's, it's becoming really complicated, but if you want, I can kind of break down how a traditional documentary works. Please. And yeah. yeah, so this is, this took me years to figure out, but basically you want to get this thing probably you know 20 30 percent funded up front and you need to pay yourself along the way because the odds of you getting paid on the back end are less than 50 50 i would say so you need to be paying yourself you need to get an initial uh investment you need to go out and generate footage and generate access to characters and put together something that's going to prove that you've got great characters, you've got access to those characters, and you've got a team behind you that's going to be able to nail it. And so you'll, you'll end up like a 10 minute clip and a pitch deck, essentially. So at that point, you're kind of like a small startup company, essentially, you've got an idea and you have what you hope is the proof that you need to go to the next level, then you go back to fundraising. At this point, you need to be in tight with executive producers, it'll help you do that fundraising and fund you know essentially the the filming portion and the editing so the what they call production and post-production need to get that totally funded um and if you get it funded without going through distribution that's what they call an independent documentary so you're going to end up at a film festival or trying to sell that film at the end 
but you you have total control. You're taking more risk though. You're taking more risk with that money. The other route is to go right to distribution at this point. So you go say straight to Netflix and, and pitch them on your idea. And they may decide to bring it in-house, make it an original and fund the whole thing. But at that point, they're gonna have total control. Um, they may even remove you as a director or showrunner and put on somebody else. Uh, it's all entering into their sausage making process, uh, but you will get paid for that idea um, up front. So that's probably the most like secure risk-free way to do it. Um, but you're never gonna make it big. If you go independent and you own this thing the whole way through, um, you'll form an LLC, you'll bring in these investors. It's like a small business, essentially. Uh, if it might go to film festivals, uh, it might at some point start a bidding war. Let's say it's a hit documentary and the bidding war starts. That's when you're gonna see those really high sale prices. And that's when a few of these win, uh, filmmakers you know, have a big windfall because they took that risk all the way along and maintain ownership of it. So there's a lot of parallels to say the startup uh, tech scene, interestingly. Is it, is there more, is it easier to go independent this day and age with so much more platforms out there? Or is it harder because there's so much platforms out yeah, there? Yeah, great question. Um, it's so this is what they call the golden age documentary because people love documentary and there's a lot of it being produced and demands high. So for many years, there was a huge thriving independent documentary scene. But in the last few years, uh, especially with COVID, um, it's really shrank and Netflix and other big players have really moved into doing the originals and, and their, their acquisitions, buying these independent ones. Those numbers have fallen quite a bit. So right now it's, it's a difficult, it's getting more difficult again. So, it, but you know, it changes all the time. And so, for example, like I'm, I don't know if this is true, but uh, there's a writer strike going on and then now there's an actor strike going on too. And so all these, all these big companies are part of the unions. And so they're all their productions are shut down. So there's going to be a big gap in the market. And so a lot of people are hoping that you're going to see the independent producers really have another heyday because these distribution channels need to fill that gap that's going to be opening. Um, well, isn't that what happened last time when we had the writer strike? We had a lot of like web sh uh, TV shows and things like that yeah. pop up. Exactly. You see a lot of innovation during the time when the industry kind of gets shut down. Suddenly all that periphery becomes really important. So. Talk, talking about innovation, you kind of already touched on it. I mean, with AI, I mean, how do you think that's going to affect basically uh, your business kind of going in the future? Yeah, that's something that, that we're all talking about. Um, so it's hard to say because, you know, obviously the AI situation is just changing so rapidly. But it appears to me that the really high end productions are not going to be probably replaced by you know, uh, generative video in the near future. But I think a huge sector of the video industry will be uh, pretty soon. So I think it's, you know, it's going to be a reckoning for sure. Um, but it, but in terms of like what you're clicking on in Netflix, that kind of thing, I don't know if that's the type of market that's going to be under threat, at least in the near term. And the reason why I say that is because those products are, are extremely nuanced and there, there's something about them. I mean, um, 
just the fact that there is so much name recognition associated with the film industry you actually i think there's people actually want um the actors to be real people that they know they actually want the directors to be their favorite directors that they're all rooting behind you know they actually there's there's people behind those and i think because of the celebrity nature of the business um machine generated content just doesn't have that same cachet uh, even if it was better now if it is significantly better then you know all bets are off that's hard to imagine though because these machine learning models uh these large language models things like that they're 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 a they're being generated that what they generate is from everything that we put into the internet and so it's hard for me to imagine them being better than we are you know what i mean it's it's like a an expression of our kind of some cumulative knowledge as a human race but uh, so i feel like the high-end products are still going to be high-end and they have that celebrity cachet and i think that's possibly going to be important to the audience that is all pure speculation though i think it's up to us to it's going to be fun to see how it really plays out. So. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, is yeah. there a now? Because I with the AI stuff, right? There's it, it grabs information from anywhere. It could be from a high school kid to a college person to someone that's actually looked into it. Yeah. With different platforms, is there a company that oversees the information? I know like Twitter is putting it out there now, where they have dissecting this information and they have kind of like the verbiage beneath it saying well this is might not be true or this happened right there is there anything with documentaries where they kind of like go over the information that's kind of be giving it out or is it simply you're kind of going in there with the idea that whoever is putting that piece together is giving you that information and it could be swayed i guess yeah are you, are you talking about just the ai or documentary in general documentaries in general i mean because it seems yeah. like we're getting more that way we're having so much information out there now and oh, so right. I, I'm just wondering if that kind of veered in that direction in, yeah. in the, that business. Well, I mean, it's interesting because like this is something I think about a lot. It's like we're, my background in PBS, you know, public broadcasting system, it's is a rigorous institution and there's all kinds of checks, fact checking going on. And, and it's part of this old, uh, you know, journalistic model where uh, they really really try to get things accurate and, and as truthful as they can. Of course, there's bias and everything that is made, but it, they work hard to avoid that. Moving over to the entertainment side of documentary, it's a different story. Um, I'm sorry to say, but there is not the same. Uh, you would not, you don't find the people don't want facts to get in the way of a great story. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, so they're much more I, I see editors and directors are much more likely to not necessarily make a story false at this point but it's like to really pull out the parts they know are the most interesting and focus on that and gotcha. so we see a lot of like sensational material and just the type of stories that get chosen i mean they gotta have a great character that kind of stuff and so entertainment is first and that's that's warping documentary i'd say then you have reality tv which is kind of a form of documentary and over the years you've really seen that start to be warped too and the producers are creating scenarios um but it's almost like a game show and a lot of these things and so so all of this is starting to kind of blend together you know and i can see documentary is um it's it's different than than what it used to be years ago when it was a very factual medium so for, for I guess I mean for your for yourself and other people in that kind of profession, right? I mean, 
how often are there topics that maybe you don't agree upon or are against where, but the money's right and you kind of go, I have to go that direction. Does that, does it happen? Does that come across or what happens there? Yeah. I mean, it depends on, on the, the platform that you're distributing to what kind of pressure you're going to get. And it depends on the filmmaker, you know, what kind of uh, filmmaker they are. And so, you know, it's, it's, and also it depends on the audience. That's one thing that I think is understated is the audience is so savvy nowadays. Mm -hmm. I think people really quickly can smell when something's being constructed and, and sort of, uh, dramatize a little too much. I think people really know. And so, the audience actually kind of keeps people honest, but, um, but, you know, I'm trying to think my last film was make people better. And it's about the, the first, you know, genetically engineered babies that were created in China in 2018. Now that sounds like science fiction. And a lot of people online were like, is this even real? And for that film, you know, I felt that it's such an important topic. The idea that we're going to be engineering, um, traits into people uh, going forward and this technology is here and and those ethical red lines were just blown through and uh plus it's a great story the chinese scientist who did it you know was caused a big controversy and then what's disappeared after that so it turns out he was new york times found him under house arrest and uh it had gone terribly wrong for it for this guy and he ended up in prison eventually but so this story is so important you know that like we really went we really did double duty to make sure everything in there is a hundred percent accurate. And it's a very nuanced story. Um, we didn't want to take sides in terms of, is this a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, cause you know, some people with genetic disease, this is really important to them that we develop these technologies. Other people that are worried about what kind of doors is going to open towards designer babies, blonde hair, blue eyes, super soldiers, stuff like that are really worried about the pathway that this technology creates the future. We didn't want to take sides. We just wanted to like present the information through this riveting story as accurately as we could because it's such an important topic. Now, if you were making a film that's a little bit different, let's say it's uh, it's Tiger King, you know, and the point here is <laughs> it's it's going to be a wild ride. You know, it's more about the story probably for those guys. You know, how do we construct the best possible story? out of footage that may or may not be totally 100% true. So, and I honestly know nothing about Tiger King. Didn't mean to criticize them whatsoever. I, I'm sure they did a great job, but just in general, the stakes are a little lower. And so. Well, with the viewership, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that's probably easy, uh, a call for, for anyone to say, do you watch documentaries? No. Okay. Have you seen Tiger King? Have you seen Tiger King? Seen it. Uh, I mean, what kind of, with going back to, to your business, I mean, I know you said that you, for each project, you make sure that you get paid or your team, your company gets paid. Yeah. Is there a lot of predictability in knowing where the next paycheck is coming um, with your business? Uh, not so much. I mean, it's it's definitely peaks and valleys for sure. Um, but once once you get into, I think filmmakers, once they get into a working formula and they get it, their process resolved and they have a great team and their funding uh is lined up and and it, things become very consistent they can start to scale a little bit um, documentary production is not a very scalable industry typically um, so but yeah i think it can become more predictable and you, you build those relationships in the industry and it, it just becomes especially if you have some some big wins behind you um, 
investors recognize like in startup culture it's going to be nine failures for every one big hit so so is, is that kind of why you built the two different platforms one where it's basically kind of a subscription-based model and then let's maybe more predictable than relatively the other model where it's yeah. project to project yeah i mean film stacker is an extremely growth um oriented model it's uh it has huge potential uh it's a it's got a great market it's very predictable it's, it's a business you know that could yeah. really scale and i'm super excited about that but but we built film stacker just because i was so when we had the idea of like so this app needs to be built and we wanted to build it and then we just got mm -hmm. so excited about building it that we couldn't stop ourselves essentially and uh, i love using it um it just so happens that it's right time right place and it's it's going to it's perfect for ai to plug right into there and so it's going to be one of the next kind of generation of of apps that is out there helping was, everyone make films yeah the, the idea of it i mean you have a background with that idea right filmmaking helping other people be a filmmaker kind of together as a group the mm -hmm. execution i guess with the software and things like that where did you find the right people to kind of brainstorm together and kind of build this team to build that platform okay. <clears throat> yeah my my original co-founder is jd gibbs and he's he worked for apple for years managing oh, wow. different products and things and over the years, he just became really uh, burned out on working for these big corporate uh, businesses and wanted to do another. He'd done a startup in the past. He just wanted to do another startup. And we've been friends for a long time. And so, you know, when we had this idea, um, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll build it. So then once I had him, he, he was able to put together a team on the programming side. And then I just handled the fundraising and the, and the business side. Um, and so make a good partnership and so there's five co-founders originally um we're all still great friends it's been several years and uh it's, it's just been totally fine yeah wait so we have five co-founders yeah. and all still a good turn what's the secret yeah. sauce uh i mean oh man that's a great question so well, I think the secret sauce to a business is that you do get along with your co-founders and mm -hmm. you're, it's basically a marriage. And so two people can have trouble in a marriage. If yeah. five is ridiculous, to be honest, I probably wouldn't recommend it for anyone except for our group. But yeah, we just love working together. We were all friends before and, and uh, building this thing together has just made it even better and we just have tons of respect for each other um it's a very flat uh, here's some important thing is that it's a very flat uh organization in terms of like leadership and so like yes i'm the ceo on paper but when we make decisions we all sit down and we we all know each other really well and it becomes easy to make the best decision as a group and then that's what we'll go out and present to the world to the company but it let's say we were talking five years in the future is there like where do you feel see these platforms going where do you see filmmaking going where do you see yourself going in the next five years well i'm really excited about film stacker and uh that's getting ready to launch to weddings and so i think what we're going to do is just provide a service to weddings that i mean 80 percent of weddings opt not to have a videographer but it's wow. their number one regret is that they don't have video of their wedding so they can't afford it typically is why they opt not to. so film sector is a great solution for a lot of destination weddings for weddings and i also think people travel in the travel industry 
So I'm really excited to just see it get used out there and, and it'll be, you know, um, just, just a, a product that maybe is a great solution for some people and for other people, it's just a way to collect video that they might download and then do something else with, you know, film stacker may not be the final destination for them. But I think uh, the next steps with Film Stacker is to integrate more and more of these AI tools and generative tools. And so you might have a lot of great clips, but you don't have all you need and it'll generate the clips you're missing to tell a full story and it'll help you. It'll be a co-pilot with you, helping you tell that story well. So a lot of people are afraid of a blank page, you know, and, and this thing, you can just upload the video to it and then it'll help you kind of get started with the story. That's, I'd love to see it go and nail that. I think that's going to be awesome. Um, so film stacker is going to be big for me. And then the other thing that I'm doing next is the next documentary is off and running and it's, it's called Manta. Um, it's, it's about this guy who was a, a hell's angel, a Navy seal, pretty tough dude, but just, you know, really struggled with life in a lot of different ways. And eventually, left and went down to Baja, Mexico back in the 80s, just get away from it all. Uh, he was getting into you know a lot of legal issues and stuff. And he went down to Mexico and he started, he was a great scuba diver because the Navy SEALs and he just started diving all the time. And he went out to this island. He basically lived out of this island, 200, uh, 219 miles offshore out in the Pacific Ocean. Back then there was nobody else there. And he would just live out there for months at a time and dive every day with the giant mantas and he became friends with this one huge and these mantas are like 20 feet across they're massive animals super intelligent really emotional he became friends with one named willie and him and willie were friends for like 19 years and he would get on willie's back and willie every day willie come up slap his boat he'd put on scuba gear jump in hop on willie's back willie would give him these rides through the uh the canyons and the different areas underwater and stuff and uh, they had this great friendship. But one day, uh, some uh, illegal fishing boats came to this island and massacred all the mantas Oops. and just wiped them out. And so Terry, you know, uh, he's kind of anti-authority and didn't really follow the rules and stuff. But these were all of his friends at that point. He'd named them all, you know, Rosie, Tippy, Finger. Um, and he was pissed and he had filmed the whole thing and he just went on a mission uh to protect these mantas and got that footage eventually was seen on um in 13 different countries and he got the president of mexico to, to watch it and then the president had those fishermen arrested took away their boats find them and then made a manta sanctuary around this island and it's just a really awesome story of what one person can do when they just when they get pissed <laughs> I, I feel like I already know the answer, but I'm going to ask you anyways. Yeah. Do you think, I mean, so she can kind of see the passion that you have with that, with that film, upcoming film. Do you ever yeah. see that the, you're going to just stick with film stacker and give up documentaries altogether? I don't know. That's, that's a tough one because it's weird. Cause like documentaries kind of find you. It's yeah. they're like a lost dog or something. So when they come into your life, the story needs to be told. And, and I, this one, you know, it just, I realized no one else could tell it but me and it would not be told if I didn't do it. And it's an awesome story. And so, you know, I, I just couldn't, just couldn't stop myself. Um, so I probably, probably that will happen again in the future. 
I don't know. It, it, well, thank you so much, Cody. If someone's listening and they're looking to get more information about Filmstack or other projects you might have, look to, for your upcoming documentaries. What's the best way of getting more information? Yeah, so if you want to know, know about Filmstacker, just go to filmstacker.com. Um, you can send uh, me an e email, which is cody at filmstacker.com. And if you want to know about documentary filmmaking, then send me an email, or uh, which is info at rumlinemedia.com, or just go to our website and connect with me through there. Um, you can hit me up on all the social channels too. I love to talk about this stuff, and I would love to help people get started. And uh, you know, whatever I can do to help, I want to help. So please reach out if, if anything I've said is interesting. The, uh, thank you again, uh, Cody, for being here. Hopefully everyone uh, got some great information. And if maybe you're just a, a TikTok person or Instagram person, you're making a small field. But like Cody said, for documentary at least, not a lot of them went to film school. So, hey, you yeah. know what? You could be a step away. Uh, thank you guys for watching. Please subscribe. Please share. And go in the show notes and go find Cody. Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.